Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Thursday, May 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Another tragic mass shooting has many asking an all-too-familiar question. How could this happen again? Why wasn't odd behavior from the shooter flagged? The shooter was able to legally purchase two rifles within days of him turning 18. When it came to the massacre, the 19 children and two adults he killed were all in one classroom. Relatives and former friends said he was bullied for a speech impediment and did not have a good relationship with his mother, which is why he was living with his grandmother, who he shot in the face. Sylvia Foster Frau, national reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for What to Know. Next, as more are readying themselves to travel this summer, be prepared for anything. A lot can go wrong with flight delays or cancellations, or even rental cars not being available. If a flight is canceled, try everything you can from standing in line at the terminal, checking the airline website, or even calling them out on social media. And since speed is of the essence, grab the first thing that comes up or could be gone very fast. Don Gilbertson, Carry On columnist at the Wall Street Journal, joined us for a worst-case scenario guide. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. One of the issues is that people aren't reporting. Hey, listen, let's go back to uh, see something, say something. That worked well. If somebody in the public sees something on social media, they need to report it to law enforcement. Then law enforcement needs to coordinate it between all levels to make sure that they act on it as soon as possible. Joining us now is Sylvia Foster Frau, national reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Sylvia. Yes, thanks for having me. Well, we have another tragedy that happened in the country. This is just coming after the the other mass shooting that we had in Buffalo. We have this other mass shooting that happened on Tuesday in Texas there at Uvalde. And what happened, obviously, we, you know, we've all been hearing a lot about it. This uh, The gunman, Salvador Ramos, he's 18 years old. He went to uh, Robb Elementary School there and killed 19 students all inside of the same classroom, two teachers. He shot his grandmother in the face, really just kind of violence all over. And, you know, it's unfortunate uh, to see this happen again. We're seeing a lot of anger out there. We're asking a lot of questions and, uh, you know, wanted to take a look into a little bit about who this person was and what might have triggered him into all this because as of now we don't have any motivation but we're hearing that he was bullied a lot when he was younger he had a very fraught relationship with his mother there's a a lot of things going on so sylvia help us walk through some of what we know now 
So as far as the gunman Salvador Ramos is concerned, um, I spoke to a couple of his friends, or I, I should say former friends, because both recounted that he started changing. His behavior was changing in recent years that kind of spread them apart. But you know, before that, he was kind of just like another, just another kid in Uvalde. They went to elementary school together. As they grew up, you know, they would play video games, Fortnite and Call of Duty, play basketball out in the park. I mean, just like really typical stuff that any kid does and that any kid would do in, in Uvalde, Texas. Um, and then things kind of started to change. It sounds like it was around high school. There was a couple of instances, some weird stories. Uh, this is coming from uh, Santos Valdez Jr., uh, also 18, one of his friends, as you mentioned. And he said that one time he showed up to the park with a bunch of scratches on his face. And he said, uh, oh, uh, my cat did it or a cat did it or something. And then later on, he fessed up and told him the truth and said he had done it with knives over and over just for fun. That was exactly right. And, it, you know, it really was disturbing to Valdez, obviously, and not something that you know, he would ever do or, or most folks would consider doing. And I think it was, you know, looking back for him, one of those many signs. He was also just getting kind of more aggressive in general, shooting BB guns at random strangers, egging cars. He began to dress differently, all in black with these huge kind of military style boots and leather and letting his hair grow long. Photos of knives and weapons were posted on social media over and over again. One of the friends or former friends I spoke to, Stefan Garcia, he was saying that he had at one point thought, well, maybe the weapons are for hunting because, you know, we're in Texas and going to the shooting range and going hunting isn't uncommon. And Ramos had said at one point that he was going to do that with his uncle sometime earlier this year. And so he wondered, like, maybe it's just that, you know, um, but obviously yeah. that was not the case. You know, as I mentioned, we, we don't really have a clear motive yet on what's happening. That's why we're having to delve into social media and obviously talk to acquaintances and former friends and all. Uh, when we talk about, you know, what happened in Buffalo, right? The, the shooter there had a mm. manifesto. You know, we saw things that he was posting online. It, it was a clear picture, right? A racist attack motivated by that. And we just don't have that clear picture here. So that's why we have to look into his past and see what's happening. Reports also said that he was uh, bullied and bullied everywhere, right? Social media, over gaming, everything. Um, uh, for, I guess he had a, a speech impediment, a lisp when he was younger. That's exactly right. I also helped out in covering the Buffalo shooting. And, you know, it couldn't have been clearer with that manifesto in hand, you know, the exact kind of racist attempt of targeting those black residents. This is really different. We don't have some clear manifesto that's laying out a reason, at least that has not been made available yet. And so all we can do, like you said, is piece together these things. He was bullied for a long time, according to his friends. He had a list. It kind of painted this picture that he was kind of an outcast. He was not in the in crowd in school. He was kind of this nobody, as, as someone referred to him. And at the same time, it sounds like he was also struggling with aspects of his home life um, with his mother, who he lived with kind of on and off. He ended up going to his grandmother's for a while towards the end and I think had, had maybe alternately lived there before. And so, you know, you start to wonder if all of these things added together. And then on top yeah. of that, you know, then you have the Texas gun laws and the way that that plays into it. 
Yeah, you know, uh, briefly on the on the on the home life, right? A lot of questions start swirling around all over the place. The people that know him, why didn't you say something? If you can see a deterioration in a person, disturbing things that are happening, it's up to the responsibility of the people around him to notify others of that. But the home life didn't seem like it was there. I guess reports are saying that his mother was a, a drug user. That's why he moved in with the grandparents. You know, I saw an interview with his grandfather, the shooter's grandfather basically saying, you know, I didn't notice anything. I didn't really talk to him much other than kind of quick pleasantries. And it really seemed like nobody was paying attention to him on that side of things. Yeah, and that that part's really sad, right? You wonder how many folks aren't being checked in on the way they should. One of his friends said that he would try to call him. He moved away his sophomore year and he would try to call him. But that um, at that point, almost had really distanced himself from him and would kind of shut down his conversations quickly. And so he couldn't really get through to him. But he said, he told me that he kind of felt like he was his closest friend and kind of his lifeline to normalcy. And as soon as he moved away, that his friend Ramos like really had had nothing else there for him. Yeah, I, you know, I guess in all of this, it seemed like from reports, the grandmother was the only one that was maybe contacting police and whatnot. And, you know, obviously she suffered from his wrath as well, getting shot in the face and all. Very unfortunate there. And, you know, so let's talk a little bit about the gun angle now, because obviously calls for gun control, uh, expanded background checks, you know, all of this stuff swirls around immediately in the aftermath of these things. And uh, we're hearing the reports that he was able to buy these two AR-15 style rifles days after his 18th birthday. It it almost seemed in some ways that he was waiting to turn 18 to be able to, um, what you can do in Texas, legally purchase them. And there were two of those semi-automatic rifles. And it looks like one was left in the car and one was the one that was used to commit the, the horrible atrocity. And so with that, you know, come the same questions that we see time and time again, which is, could this have been prevented if gun laws were tighter in the state? or in the country. The governor, uh, Greg Abbott, was given a press conference earlier, and he kind of alluded to some of that. He said there's a lot of bigger cities, L.A., Chicago, New York, that have these type of red flag laws and other things on the books, and that there's still shootings happening all the time, uh, just kind of signaling there's no appetite, at least there in Texas, to reform any gun laws, which is where a lot of people are going to, a lot of people are calling for you know, we even saw, I think, uh, Beto O'Rourke, who's running against him, kind of try to storm the stage and, you know, make a scene saying, you're not giving us anything. And then there was shouting back and forth and all. So obviously a very fraught topic there of, of uh, gun control issues. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in, in 2021, the gun laws in Texas were loose and even further to allow for a permitless carry. Um, and that was, you know, just two years after there were mass shootings in El Paso and in Odessa. But I think in total, 30 people were killed. And so we've seen this already, right, where a mass shooting is actually followed by loosened gun laws and what they call kind of this constitutional carry. And so I think there is for a lot of folks who are hoping for a stricter gun control measures, like there, there's really not a lot of hope with the Texas state that that would happen. You know, and all of this, we don't really want to lose track of the victims. Obviously, that is the most heartbreaking part. You know, all the families and and friends and everything involved in this. 19 kids killed. They were all in a fourth grade class in the same fourth 
grade class. He barricaded himself in there and started shooting at people. People yeah. tossed the word around evil a lot. And that's, I mean, it's just so hard to swallow how he did this. I think there were 17 other uh, uh, people that were injured in all of this as well, but credit to uh, the first responders there, officers, we heard Border Patrol agents might have been involved too, and a very close-knit community, you know, they had to get in there and, and break down windows and eventually kill him. I mean, just trying to picture all of that is just so hard to wrap your mind around and just so disturbing to think what those folks saw when they got in that classroom. But you had 10-year-old, 9-year-old kids that were in this classroom and two teachers and their whole families, you know, that sent their kids to school that day like any other day that were looking forward to the summer vacation ahead and to have something happen like this. I mean, it's just, it really is every parent's worst nightmare. Sylvia Foster-Frau, national reporter at The Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But if you look at international Europe, we believe will be record-setting this summer. Domestic will probably be at about 98 or 99 percent of 2019, and there's a chance it might exceed it. Joining us now is Don Gilbertson, carry-on columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about the summer travel season and kind of a worst case scenario guide. I love this type of stuff because some people are going to sail right through, but a lot of people are going to have tons of problems flying. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of the same things that have been happening, you know, staffing issues, weather issues, just bad management sometimes even, right? 
But so all of these things can potentially hamper your trip. And Don, you you wrote a kind of a nice little guide here about how to get through some of these things. So help us out. Walk us through some of what these worst case scenarios we might be seeing. I mean, one of the first things people need to do is just be prepared. And I mean, that goes beyond getting to the airport early and so forth. You just need to, in the back of your mind, have a plan if things go wrong, especially if you're trying to, you know, get to uh, can't-miss events like weddings and reunions or a cruise or a hotel reservation. So people just really need to just do a little bit of research before your trip and look at other airlines maybe that offer flights there, just so you're prepared. Hopefully you won't need it, but at least you'll know, do you know what I mean? Hey, the next flight is at this time on your airline and other airlines. Anything can really happen, right? My producer, Victor, just went on a trip to Iceland. He was super excited for it. On one leg of the trip, (laughs) President Biden showed up at the airport, so they closed things down. He missed his flight. On the return trip, they got notified that the, uh, I guess, the pilot was working too many hours, so they couldn't let him fly. Right. Then they had to reschedule another thing. So both legs of his trip were kind of messed up. And and really, that can happen anywhere. And one of the things that experts suggest is try everything, which I know is kind of uh, silly to hear, but go stand in line at the terminal. Go uh, on the internet and check to see what's next. You really have to try anything and then go for whatever comes up first. Speed is of the utmost importance. Well, and it's going to be of the utmost importance, especially this summer. Some airlines are back to pre-pandemic levels in terms of the number of flights. Others aren't. Some airlines have cut flights, you know, to give themselves more breathing room, you know, given the meltdowns early this year. So what that means for travelers is if your flight is canceled, your options are reduced, you know, to get on the next flight. So you can't sit there and think, okay, mm, I don't know if I want this one or that one. You really are going to need to act quick and say, okay, uh, especially if there's more than one person in the traveling party and say, okay, I want that flight. It may not be ideal, but at least you'll get out and you won't be stranded. Yeah, if you have to take that middle seat, go ahead and go for it. You know, it's at, at, that, <laughs> at that point, it's like, you know, anything you can do to go there. The other thing, too, that's interesting, right? So when flights are canceled uh, and, you know, may, might, it might not be scheduled for the overnight, uh, you know, to, uh, to the next day or something, you know, you are due sometimes hotel and meal vouchers. How does that work? Because I know a lot of people either don't know, don't ask, but sometimes you're entitled to some of those things. The unfortunate thing for consumers is, you know, unlike airline rules that require a refund if you want one, if the airline cancels the flight, the rules about hotel and other expenses being reimbursed are up to individual airlines, what is called the contracts of carriage. You know, it's a bunch of legalese, but that's is spelled out in there. I'm not recommending that everybody go read these dense documents, but at a minimum, ask, even if it wasn't the airline's fault, ask. Can you put me up? And if you can't put me up, do you at least have a discount at hotels? I know that United was uh, mentioning the other day in an interview, they were mentioning to us that they still have like a list of hotels that they've negotiated rates with, even if they're not going to pay for it. So just right. just ask. And you can ask, by the way, Don't you don't just have to go to the gate. You don't have to wait in that long line at the ticket counter. There's so many other options. Reach out over Twitter, direct message. You know, it, it doesn't hurt to ask. And in all cases, yeah. You know, be as kind as possible. Of course, yeah. The, 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 but the Twitter thing does uh, really work a lot, right? Uh, the, once uh, the p- bad publicity starts uh, swirling around, they want to nail that really quickly. And uh, and yeah, just asking for this stuff is super important. I, w- I was traveling with a friend who was much more experienced flying, and our flight got canceled. And she did ask for an overnight hotel voucher, and they hooked us up. So thanks to her, because I would not have known to do that. Oh, another thing uh, that they're suggesting for 
customers and, and flyers, brace for the lobby shock. So you're going to get there. In a lot of cases, lines are going to be huge. And there's actually some interesting ways to kind of cut the lines, whether it's TSA pre-check, clear is another one, and, and a few other options. Reserving a spot you could even do. I think that the reserve a spot one is probably going to be the newest one for people, especially if they haven't traveled during the pandemic. And I haven't used it myself because I do have pre-check, but I live in Phoenix and it's here at the airport. It's also in Seattle. It's also in Los Angeles. Clear now runs these lanes for the airports and it's free. So check if your airport, the first thing I would do, seriously, if I have a flight coming up and you don't have pre-check or clear, I would check on your airport's website, even you know, reach out to the airport on Twitter and say, do you have a system where I can reserve a spot in the TSA line for free? That's a great... Could be a big time saver. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a really good one, and I, that one that I have not heard of yet as well. But to be clear, though, with the TSA pre-check and even the clear option, there are costs associated with it. So TSA pre-check, I think it's a really good deal. I mean, if you travel just a few times a year, I mean, it's $85 for five years. In my mind, that that is a no-brainer if you travel a lot and cannot stand lines. Sure. But you do have to sign up for an advance. So if you have a trip coming up this summer, definitely... You know, look into it if it's if it's in your budget. I know that cost gets expensive if you have a family, but check out the TSA's website. It's a fairly easy, you know, straightforward process to get it. Clear, you can sign up for at the airport, but clear and pre-check are a little bit different. So make sure you check out the differences there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it depends on how many times you're going to be flying, obviously, and as you mentioned, what's in your budget, but those are important little things to look out for. Now, okay, so now we've flown, we've done the trip, we get to our destination. The other part of it is travel and mobility. After that, rental car trouble seems to be uh, still something that, that people are going to have to grapple with. I don't know if there's still a shortage of cars necessarily, but just, you know, canceled reservations continue to be a problem. Well, cancel reservations or long waits. One thing I'm hearing from a lot of travelers is that they land, you know, and you're all excited for your trip to begin and seeing lines of a couple hours or more. I, I, I saw some reports like in Savannah and some other popular weekend destinations, people complaining about that. So, A, you have to budget that extra time in, you know what I mean, and not get frustrated. Maybe if you've got kids or whatever and you've got to do this line thing, make sure you're prepared with things to do because especially if you've come off a long journey, and then availability. I mean, the car rental companies say they're ready, but the car rentals are something some people reserve last minute. And in a lot of cases, you don't have to like put your credit card in or anything. You know what I mean? So people can have double reservations, triple reservations. Then if everybody all of a sudden shows up, you have an availability issue. So one big tip there that I learned from doing this, and I really hadn't thought about it very much in my own case, but like if, if you get an email from your airline that your flight time has changed, uh, you know, whether it's by a day or hours or whatever, make sure to update your car reservation. Man, I, you know, your arrival time. I'm going to be traveling uh, towards the end of the summer. That's why this obviously caught my eye. I just want to get ready. But planning, patience, uh, uh, you know, uh, just being nimble on your feet. You got to be ready to go in on all of this stuff when you're traveling. So uh, we'll keep an eye out, see how the summer travel season does go. Don Gilbertson, carry on columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a good day. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.